0: Welcome to Day Beautiful, I'm Adam Fitkavich, and this is a podcast where you can discover debut authors. If you like what you hear here, check out Day Beautiful at daybeautiful.net. A quick programming note, we have added a weekly reading series podcast called First Taste. It'll release every Monday where a debut author will be reading five minutes from their work to help kickstart your week off on the right foot and wet your appetite with great literature. So be sure to check that out every Monday in addition to these longer interviews that we've been doing for the past few years. Okay, let's get on with it. Again, you can find us at daybeautiful.net or on all social media at Daybeautiful. Today's guest is a queer Jamaican-American freelance journalist, culture essayist, and grassroots organizers with a BA in creative writing from Ohio University. His work has been featured in Teen Vogue, Catapult, Level, It, and more. His debut memoir, When They Tell You to Be Good, is out now via Tin House. His name is Prince Shakur, Prince, thank you for joining us today. How are you doing?
1: I'm pretty good. Uh, I had to come to my friend's house to use Wi-Fi because I just moved in to my <laughs> apartment in New York and we're still figuring a few things out. But it's a it's a sunny, beautiful day. I'm going to get some work done later, see mm-hmm. some
0: friends. So I'm good. I love that. Before we start recording, you mentioned like you're freelance. So any day is a Monday. Any day is a Friday. Um, I, before we hop into your, your memoir, talk to me about your hustle. Like I can't imagine just being freelance fully. Like I, I have my, my daytime job. I still do, but what's the freelance life like for Prince?
1: Um, it's, it's changed a bit naturally. Like me and my friends that are freelance make the joke that our favorite word is pivot. (laughs) Um, but I started being freelance in about 2017. And, uh, about a year later I moved to Columbus, Ohio and, it's a cheaper cost of living there. There's a really, I guess, like developing and developed artist scene. And so I was just kind of able to use those two things to kind of hone in on the kind of journalistic beats I wanted to write about, what kind of essays I wanted to tackle, and then um, kind of learning how to do residencies and developing other projects like my podcast or Mm -hmm. my YouTube channel or my newsletter. But in terms of uh, like work, it's usually been juggling between journalism, creative nonfiction, and like other kind of creative gigs to kind of supplement, whether it's like doing an audio installation for a museum or being a production assistant for my friend's documentary or kind of just doing whatever comes your way and applying to artist grants. Um, but for me, it's definitely been a juggle. Like I'm not rich. I don't make a lot of money, but I've Mm -hmm. prioritized, traveling and experiences and that's worked out pretty well for me so far um so i love it and now Mm -hmm. that i'm in new york i'm gonna kind of have to figure out how things work here because it's definitely of course one of the most expensive cities in the country um but yeah i mean that's how it's been so far i'd say
0: oh that's terrific um yeah i've heard good things about columbus i think a lot of people don't give ohio the credit it deserves not every city deserves the credit but columbus i've heard is just a great scene
1: Yeah. I mean, I love the DIY scene. I love the punk scene there. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot um, developing, like even just like gallery wise. And like my friends um, recently opened a cafe called Parable Coffee, and that's becoming like a community spot that people hang out at. And so definitely in just the four years that I lived there, I I don't know. I mean, (laughs) I think anywhere where... The weather is extremely seasonal and you kind of have to make your own fun it leads to kind of the summer spring and fall months um just being really beautiful and so i i I love especially the summer and the warm months there in columbus and uh
0: and i'm definitely gonna miss it um and I'm, i'm going back for my book launch so i'm pretty happy about that and speaking of your book when they tell you to be good it's a memoir out on tin house talk about the genesis of it um I feel like a lot of people outside of the book world don't understand like memoirs not written by like celebrities or actors or what, um, what was the genesis of this memoir?
1: Um, yeah, the genesis was largely in 2016. I had a really just uh, chaotic year. I was living in Seattle. I got, fired from a job. I got another job. I decided I wanted to leave Seattle. I went to France for the first time. I went back to Montana to work. I went back to Ohio. Mm -hmm. It was the 2016 election. I quit that new job, which was encouraging people to vote. Then I went to Standing Rock and then I went to the Philippines. And so when I look back at when I started this book, I definitely view that year as a big year where I was reckoning with a lot of different things. And And for me, like the notion that only celebrities write memoirs is kind of entrapped in this idea about capitalism and Mm -hmm. certain people having more cultural value or impact than others. And I'd argue that Black people have given the world so much culture, uh, the diaspora has given the world so much culture, and there's so much within the diaspora to explore and unpack and navigate. And then you combine the intersections of like being black or queer or the children of immigrants. And so to me, I've learned on a media level as an organizer and a journalist that media is constructed by so many isms and is constructed by advertising and what gets the most clicks. And it's not necessarily the most human and in depth and like empathetic exploration of what a a human experience is. And so to me, uh, one of the reasons I wanted to write this book is that I wanted to push back up against that. And to think about the idea of what would a world look like where young people write about their narratives and their political histories and their familial histories. And so it's kind of all those bigger things, but I also started writing this book because my biological father was murdered when I was a baby. And Mm. it's always been this kind of gray area in my life. And I think as a person and as a writer, it it was kind of the first big mystery of my life. And so writing a book about it made sense because I think partway through the process, I realized there are some answers that only I can give myself. And so it was also kind of a gift back to myself to say, like, I'm going to give these experiences meaning. And it's in a world where my experiences are so often erased.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, I was watching a clip of you. Um, I'm forgetting the interview, but you you talked about just like having friends who like don't like why have friends who don't stand up and who don't join the fight and who don't stand up for who you are. And like reading the book, you know, I, I, I you know, I connected with that because I feel a lot of the times I'm a, you know, a straight white man. Everything's handed to me for the most part. Right. I mean, like I can complain about X, Y and Z, but let's be real. And like, and throughout the pandemic, especially, I caught myself like not being as proactive. Like I could have helped so many people, but I was so in my head. And I, and I know people say, "Oh, it's you know, it's the pandemic. Give yourself a pass, blah blah blah." But it's like, no. I mean, I could have done so much more. And and I know that's not necessarily what your book's about, but I, I kept thinking about how can I be more involved with, you know, my my friends who aren't aren't handed everything on a silver platter like my life relatively has been.
1: Yeah. And I definitely wanted this book to serve a lot of different purposes, but I wanted to show what is possible when Mm -hmm. you do take those chances and you Mm -hmm. disrupt. Because I think we can view political action in a variety of ways. We can view it on a level of like, how can I be less complicit to these systems Mm -hmm. based on like my background and identities? Or how can I be actively um, of disruption? Um, how can I work to find like structural or local solutions? And so for me, I wanted to unpack all the different layers that you can do that work. And, uh, and I think 2020, I think showed a lot of people whether or not they do enough or they feel like mm-hmm. they can do more or the ways that they can step in. And so I think it's a really important question especially especially in the world that we live in where things are increasingly falling apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and, and so I'm really proud of the parts of the book that definitely shine through in the ways of like, there are ways that I wished people around me had done more. And I also hope that the book kind of shows like the parts where I maybe held myself back or I felt like I could have done more for a variety of reasons. Because I think both of those things exist at the same time. It's just a matter of like, which muscle you exercise more, the one based in fear or the one based in like a curiosity about what could happen if we if we try or if we experiment Mm
0: -hmm. i want to talk a little bit about the actual writing of it so you mentioned kind of the genesis and and 2016 a lot was going on in your life did you instantly know you were like writing a memoir or were you just writing because you know you're a journalist you write essays did you know this was going to become what it became
1: yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I started because, um, because for me, it was just really exciting the idea that someone in their 20s could write about mm-hmm. their life and also, and maybe I, I don't think this is a vanity thing, but I know I look at my life sometimes and I think, wow, like, I don't know, a lot of things have happened and there's a lot to reflect on and unpack even before me. Um, and so I just knew that this would take the shape of some kind of memoir book. I didn't exactly know the structure, but I knew some of the central questions that I wanted to explore. And so, yeah, from the start, and I think after college, I was blogging and I was writing about traveling things on this blog. And so I think I was already doing some of the the, the foundational work of figuring Mm. out how to write about my experiences and then Getting into freelancing and doing journalism and creative nonfiction, um, I think both of those kind of prepared me for also like the different elements of this book that there are. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I knew from the start that I wanted to
0: tackle writing a memoir because it felt important. Mm-hmm. Did you discover a lot about your own writing through this? Because this is you know a very it's a full length pro project as opposed to like your shorter pieces that have appeared in numerous places.
1: Um, yeah, yes and no. I mean, I, I did kind of discover that there are different kinds of writing, not necessarily based in just like what we're ex- experiencing in the present moment. Like I, I, I like in terms of writing, there were, breakthroughs that I had, like definitely the section where it's 2018 and I'm in France and I kind of discover um, news about this uncle that I never knew that I had, or definitely some of the younger bits where I had to challenge myself to think about what is my younger voice and how do I put that on the page? And so for me, a lot of the challenge was how can I be authentic and honest to these different eras of myself? And also, how can I write towards a place that I've never actually been able to explain to most people in my life? And when I've been able to write towards that kind of confusion or amorphousness around uh, around grief or mortality, that's where I feel like I learned the most. But I mean, honestly, on a, another level, I mean, naturally, it's memoir you're reflecting on your life. I feel like I had to give my younger self a lot of grace and a lot mm-hmm. of gratitude in a way that I expected but it really did it just gave me like a deeper appreciation for my younger self like writing through some of those younger passages like it's not like my life was the most wild and most traumatizing thing in the world but I think when you really reckon with what you've been through ideally you I don't know you you start to love this previous version of yourself that you were confused by at the time and so I think that kind of emotional and personal work was what mattered to me more than the writing almost um but Mm -hmm. i mean of course they mattered equally in a lot of ways but i'd say i was challenged more personally than i was on a writing level
0: yeah did you find it easy to be like open and honest about about your past like not physically writing it down but like reckoning with it were were you finding times where like i don't i i need to tell the story but i don't know if i can tell it the way i need to tell it
1: um hmm. mostly I didn't find difficulty mm. um in, in terms of my the parts of the book that are specifically mm. about me mainly because I'm 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 the kind of person in my life in general I'm like I don't like secrets like if I have secrets and I have things that I'm insecure about and I hide them and it becomes this like years long thing it's kind of like hiding being gay. (laughs) And maybe that's the easiest way I can relate to it. Like Mm -hmm. at a very young age, I just, I knew if I was going to come out, I was also going to be the kind of person where other things in my life that, I don't know, maybe were more murky, I wouldn't hide them. And so for me, it was more about, like, one of the reasons I love creative nonfiction is that you can look at one event and write at it from four different angles. And so I, I think I was excited by the prospect of that, even though it was hard sometimes, um, but the but the parts of the book where it was harder to write were definitely the parts more about my family and Jamaica's history and about my father and this uncle Cedric Murray that's written about and um and my other uncles that are mentioned, um, because a large part of this book was not wanting to overshare um on certain aspects of my family life because I don't definitely I definitely don't tell everything. Mm-hmm. But I also wanted to, not try to embody anyone else's voice and speak for them. And instead, what I wanted to do was, how can I reckon with these things and these histories from my perspective and from the questions that I have? And I think when I really honed in on the fact that I wanted this book to be from my lens, that's when I was able to overcome some of those hurdles or the difficulties or,
0: I don't know, some of the fear about saying the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. There's a a line on on your website, uh, his favorite uh, his favorite of his own writings explore the way that Black people can feel invincible and fragile in the same breath. Is that a mantra or an area of focus that you've always focused on or is that developed as you've started writing and you've learned what you can write freelance and what creative nonfiction you can explore?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it's definitely changed. I mean, I've been writing since I was 12, so I kind of viewed the many different eras. Um, I mean, until college, I wrote white people, white characters, yeah. because mm-hmm. those were kind of the books that was mostly pushed to me. And it was also white people when I was younger, because I only grew up around black people represented this outside world, because I don't think I really had a white friend until the end of high school, like mm-hmm. inner city um and so yeah
0: oh, wait remind me of the question again oh just like you're kind of answering it just what when how has your writing developed uh, over time? okay well, okay yeah
1: oh yeah. Uh, yeah okay and back to the quote from the website the quote, yeah. but um yeah yeah it, it's it definitely shifted in college yeah. when i became radicalized and michael brown was killed and i started organizing and my senior year i mean i kid you not i was in 3 to 4 political organizing meetings a week. I was in student senate. I was in Mm -hmm. the OU student union. I helped start a black uh, organizing student um, organization. And through those experiences, I kind of started to realize like, oh, there's a racial element of my life that I haven't explored in my writing very much. And there's a power to that. and And I want to work towards that. And so I think that was around the time that I started kind of thinking of that as something that I wanted to embody. And then after college, like learning more about the Black Power Movement and about writers that represented these kind of more liberatory ideas or notions of Blackness. And when and when I started learning about those people, um, it gave me a different lens to kind of care about and unpack history through. And, and, and to me, I, I feel like if you revere or you idolize someone, you should also know as much of the truth about them as you can. And so going through those kind of shifts and journeys really just mostly led me to like, how can I humanize the black experience on a historical level? And then how can I do it like on a, on a everyday level, just in my life? Um, whether it's like through the writing that I do or by the, the organizing work that I do with prison abolition or whatever. Mm-hmm, um, but mm-hmm. it definitely shifted from like college and onward and and with creative nonfiction, like I I I love that you can find a, a small piece of someone's life or a new fact and use that to kind of open up a new world of understanding mm-hmm. towards them. And I think
0: that's something really really beautiful. Yeah, you mentioned that you wrote like white characters or towards whiteness. Uh, I don't want to like put words in your mouth, but what I'm getting at you and you, but you grew up in a very black community. Were you taught Black authors or or writers of color?
1: I was, Hmm. but I also feel like in the ways that we like Black kids tend to be taught about Black authors and Black literature, it's that there are these classics that have been canonized and those classics can either would be validated by the black community but even that is a spectrum it might be validated mm-hmm. by the black elite or the black elite in connection to uh white power structures and so to me black literature was taught in a very i don't i don't i don't know it, 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 to me it was taught in a very sort of mainstream oriented way like i i definitely like read like uh Walter Dean Myers and like mm-hmm. other like sort of middle grade and young adult books about Black characters. But I feel like in school, especially when you go to an inner city school and it's poor, they teach you the things that are canon because that's what's going to give you the language in order to pass the SAT scores and to mm. jump through these hoops that you need in order to get to college and to understand the things that like a white power structure teaches you that you need to know in order to get a degree and to be successful under capitalism. But like the literature, and I kind of speak to it in the book a little bit, but like the literature that I felt like I would have really needed as a younger kid is like literature about children of immigrants or immigration literature about being bi or queer or navigating your sexuality. And and all of these things are under attack, even right now in schools through book banning and different laws and different policies that are being passed, even in Ohio as well. Mm -hmm. And so to me, it's like, It's about whether or not I was given literature that spoke to a deeper experience than what the education system deemed as valuable towards like just one specific purpose. Um, And and, until college, I'd never learned about James Baldwin. I mean, I'd learned about Malcolm X and Martin Luther King in high school, but Mm -hmm. you're only given the like, I had a dream speech. And you're only told that like Malcolm X was like loud and radical, but we weren't told that these people had entire in-depth careers where their political ideas shifted and changed and we weren't really taught to kind of revere them as people that started somewhere and ended somewhere and there was all of that stuff in between um and so i suppose in a way that's why i like looking at their inner lives because i feel like we're given these black figures or books or pieces of literature and they're we're told they serve one utility but in exploring what's behind the scenes, we discover all of the different utilities and mechanisms that even brought them into existence. And I, and I feel like that's the deeper work that kind of, I don't know, like goes against white supremacy or Mm. internalized racism. And, and, And I feel like it is like a big thing of like, yeah, yeah. And I, and I feel like the more I came into my racial identity, like I was able to shed some of that internalized racism. That's to me is like very real and naturally taught through the education
0: system. Yeah. I'm trying to think as you were speaking, I was thinking, you know, what non white authors was I taught in high school? And then I taught high school for two years. Um, and I, and then I, 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 there could be more, but the first book I remember being taught was their eyes were watching God by Zora Neale Hurston as mm-hmm. a 10th grader, like 16 years old was the first black author that was handed to me like by yeah. a teacher and I know it's changed a lot since then. I mean, in, when I was in college, I took like a young a young readers, uh, course like for teachers, and and that professor was very much like I don't think we read a single white author. Like we were reading a lot of middle grade in YA to like yeah, learn how to teach yeah. this. And he's just an old white guy who loves wrestling, and but he was very progressive for like being in his seventies at the time or sixties whatever. Um, if you this is a curveball, maybe um, if you were starting like a six uh, sophomore level. English class for high school is there a few books that you you would you would want to teach them
1: Mm, yeah um I mean I've been reading a little bit more YA recently Mm -hmm. and um (laughs) I mean one of these was a book I was going to suggest uh later but uh I mean I definitely suggest like The Skin I'm In um which I think is a young adult book about a very dark skinned girl who deals with like colorism and bullying that I remember Mm -hmm. having like a huge impact on me when I was younger, I would definitely also recommend, um, uh, a a lot of Adam Silvera's work. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of his work deals with like queerness or gayness and like romance, but I, I feel like there's also definitely strong elements of exploring mental health and community, um, I mean, The Hate You Give is like mm-hmm. a really intense book and movie, but I think it speaks to like a lot of things that young people deal with today um, in terms of like state violence and being exposed to it on an internet and like video level. Um, and, th- and then, uh, I mean, I just read this book and I interviewed um, the author of it for my podcast, but um, This Is Why They Hate Us by Aaron H. Acheves, um, and that's about a bi, um, I think uh, he's a Chicano teenager in LA and he's basically getting over his best friend by trying to pursue other crushes. And so, I mean, those are some of the books that I kind of come to immediately, but I definitely like any kind of collection of essays by Baldwin, I think is worth exploring. Like um, definitely Audre Lorde, um, Mm -hmm. like unpacking like her perspectives about desire and being present and about race and about like autonomy on like a gender and political level. Um, like those are some of the things that come to mind
0: immediately, yeah, yeah. it's more than I thought you were gonna be able to come up with <laughs> because I like I told you I if people ask me to talk about books, I'm like, I need to write this down before because I'm all over the place. Um, you mentioned your podcast. i um, I just discovered it when I was like researching you. I'm so glad I did. I, I'd love to just hear about what the creative hour is about and and how you approach, you know, selecting people to talk to and and what you want to talk about.
1: Yeah. Um, the Creative Hour is a podcast of conversations between artists. So it's usually me and one other artist. I've done one or two episodes where I've interviewed like two people at once. Um, but essentially, I, I view it as like two different things. I view it as a, a sort of timestamp in each artist's career. So I kind of try and look at their background, kind of work that they're doing, their process, And I also kind of try to talk to people that maybe haven't been interviewed before or haven't been interviewed in a a podcast kind of setting, because Mm -hmm. I love asking questions that kind of dig at some of the core elements of why people make the work that they do or where they derive the meaning from. Um, And that can come from a lot of different places. But um, like, I mean, I've interviewed um, Sierra Boyd. She's um, a black fashion designer that's out in LA now, but she's um, was born and raised in Cleveland and does um sustainable fashion. um I've interviewed like punk musicians, a uh, black tap dancer. Um this season has been all writers um mm-hmm. and 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 for me, it's really fun because in one, it's why I love doing interviews like this. it's because, in my normal life, I feel like people hear like, oh, you're a writer, you're a journalist, anything I've ever heard of? And I'm like, that's the worst question uh. to ask someone. <laughs> and, and 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 this isn't to throw shade at every person out there that doesn't do art to the point where you want to be talked about it in a certain way. But I, I do feel like generally there's this kind of air around art in general where it's difficult to kind of engage with it beyond a certain point, like... How do I talk to a painter about their process or a chef or someone who's an interior designer? And so the deeper I go into this podcast, I definitely want to delve into more strange and odd art forms and really Mm -hmm. challenge myself to figure out how to engage with people about the work that they do and how they find meaning in it. Because that to me seems like such an important life skill. And it's something that I always hunger for when I tell people that I'm a writer. Um, And so I kind of... I'm doing this so I can offer that to other people, I hope. Yeah.
0: I feel like maybe I live in a bubble when it comes to writing in the literary world. If you say you're a writer, you're a journalist, is that a reaction you get? Like, oh, have I seen your work somewhere?
1: Yeah. Or, I mean, I I just think people are like, oh, what do you you write about? And then I give them the spiel. And then they're Uh like, oh, cool. But there's no Mm follow-up there's no like deeper engagement and sometimes that happens. Um, But I also feel like it depends on the sort of accessibility to their image of whatever artist label that like whatever image of the artist you say you are, that they have in their mind. If you describe your work as something that's, not close to that then I think people just kind of like shut down or they don't know what to ask like when I tell people I'm a journalist or in a writer I think they like imagine me like going on like safari trips and mm-hmm. writing travelogues and and like maybe I've had like a number of books out or something but for the past five years it's been me sitting at my desk at home or in a cafe pitching however many articles a month and hoping that a number of them get selected it's not like it's not sexy And so I feel like when the work isn't sexy, people don't fully know how to engage with it. And I want to figure out how to be like, kind of kind of to what you asked, like, oh, what's your routine? Or how do you navigate these obstacles that can come up? Or where does the love and the commitment for this come from? And and I feel like if we can engage with each other on that on an interpersonal level, I think it opens up the art making process to make it more possible. And it doesn't seem like something that only people with privilege or Mm -hmm. a lot of commitment, but who are really poor can do. And so I think like that to me is like the meaning in the process and why I want to practice it more. And I hope that it opens up more in the future.
0: Yeah. uh, Yeah. I I mean, I commend anyone who writes full time. I just, I, I, I don't do it, but like the pressure, like, like you said, you're moving to New York from columbus you have to figure out it's a it's a whole different ball game really how many you have to pitch how many you have to write where you're like, like are you thinking about you don't really have to answer this if you want to but are you thinking about like where you're pitching based on like fees because now like you know a muffin costs triple what it costs in columbus
1: oh, i mean i'm always worried about
0: it <laughs> i mean and this is also just to say like in
1: the last year and a half, I've taken a break from freelancing because yeah, yeah. the pandemic happened. I got unemployment. I was working on book stuff. I was also heavily organizing. And so even in just the last year and a half, like the the landscape, the mm. number of contacts that I have editor wise, it's changed. And mm. so to me, not to like make it sound scary, it's like not only is it a hustle, but even in just a year or a year and a half, the landscape can change and you have yeah. to like re-strategize and pivot. Um, but for me, um, I'm. I'm definitely a person like I want to like reach my space of stability and have like a good income, but I don't want to reach a point where I feel like creatively or artistically I'm plateauing. And so I I say that because like I had a great like way of life in Columbus. I had good friends and I was organizing and I definitely established myself as an artist and I knew I could have lived there for the next five years and continued to kind of level up. But I knew on another level, like I wanted more. And so to me, the challenge is both in the work, but also like how the kind of life that you want dictates how you have to do the work and how you have to hustle. And I think that's always changing. And that to me is scary, but it's also really beautiful because I have more ownership over my career because I'm freelance.
0: Yeah, what are some topics or ideas or themes or whatever that you, you, you're you thinking about for the future that you would love to write about?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, the last season of Atlanta is out right now, mm-hmm. and I definitely want to pitch an essay about Paperboy, um, who's a character on it yeah. that I really love. Um, I've been researching um, Jonestown for like the last year and a half. So the cult that led to the mass murder where yeah. everyone drank the Kool-Aid and stuff. I, for the longest time, I wanted to write about it because I learned that Huey P. Newton, the co-founder of the Black Panther Party, he had a cousin Mm -hmm. who was one of like 13 or 14 people to escape that mass murder. Um, And so the intersection of like this radical party and then this commune that represented like integrationalism and sort of socialist politics. But of course, it went off the deep end and all these people died. And so to me, there's like an interesting... Um, And kind of to the point of the inner lives of Black people, like another kind of theme that I want to explore is like the far reaches of the world that Blackness can take you to and and that the Black experience can take you to. Um, And so that's been something that's been really interesting to me. And for the longest time, I mean, i wanted to write about how children's movies um, in a lot of ways are inherently anti-capitalist and how that's like this strange kind of thing that's viewed as like, this infantilized like way of looking at the world. And as you get older, you kind of have to accept capitalism. But I'm like, why are we teaching kids that equality and caring for each other and sharing is important. But when you get older, it's Mm -hmm. like, fuck you, I have mine. And so, I don't know. There's just like, there's some like social things happening there that I'm really interested in. And I've wanted to unpack for a while, um and then of course like i'm always thinking towards the next book like i want to write mm-hmm. a book series where each book in the series is a is a different genre so i, I always have like an idea floating yeah. around somewhere
0: i love to hear that prince actually i didn't get to book recommendations before i say goodbye what are you what have you been reading what's on your mind
1: um lately i've been reading more young adult yeah. um so i mentioned it earlier uh, i just finished this is why they hate us by Erna Chavez um I um read not too long ago more happy than not by Adam Silvera and I really enjoyed that um I've been rereading the first few pretty little liars books oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> all of this sounds really uh, I'm expecting people to like expect me to say like Fahrenheit 9-11 no, um great <laughs> and um what's the name of this um it's a really well known it's uh I just finished this when I was traveling this summer um but I read it in like two days, The Death of Vivek Oje by Akwaeke Emezi. Um, yeah. I finished that and I thought that book was like phenomenal. It blew me away. Um, and at least once a year, I reread Call Me By Your Name. And so I, I reread that recently. Yeah. Um, and I will always, I mean, I can't say will always, but I see myself loving that book for a really long time. Um, so those are those have been the things that I've been reading
0: lately. Thank you so much to Prince for joining the Day Beautiful podcast today to talk about his debut memoir, When They Tell You to Be Good. It is out now. You can get it via Tin House Books. You can follow him on his website at PrinceChakor.com. His Twitter is PRChakor, and his Instagram is SweetBlackPrince. You can find Day Beautiful at DayBeautiful.net, and on all social media at Day Beautiful. As always, I'm Adam. This is Day Beautiful. And you're all beautiful.